CV, which is to be a neighborhood church endeavoring to live like Jesus by gathering a community of prayer that engages suffering. So welcome to Central Vineyard. We're so glad that you're here. And we hope you feel loved today throughout the service and through everything. So before we begin, I would like to pray. So however you guys feel comfortable receiving from God, whether it's eyes closed or hands open, I invite you to do that. Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence to come. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we get to be together and for this space that has become a home and a comfort to so many, including us. And we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you're with us, whether we are in a wilderness season or whether we are in a season of overflow and abundance. So God, thank you for loving us and for being with us today. Amen. So if you've been here any amount of time, you know that we're going through the book of Matthew. Um, and we are at the story of Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. This story follows his baptism by John the Baptist. So two weeks ago, our friends Jeff and Sid Holesclaw were here with us. And a lot of you went through their Attaching to the God Who is With Us class. And I love how they shared um, a bit of this story, a little bit of Jesus in the wilderness and we're focusing on Jesus's attachment to God during this story and how Jesus's confidence in his belovedness is what kept him fully connected to God. And then last week, Dan shared with us some different connections throughout the Bible with the story of Jesus in the wilderness and how Jesus is the real bread of life that is offered to us, not whatever temptation could come along in our life. So this week, we are going to continue on with the story of Jesus in the wilderness. So to begin, I want to read through the scripture, which is Matthew 4, 1 through 12. And the passage is titled, The Temptation of Jesus. I believe this is the ESV version that I'm going out of. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Naturally, I would be too. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. This sounds a lot like um, Lion King. <laughs> and then... He said to him, All of these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So that's the Matthew version. I also wanted to share the Mark version. 
Um, it's a very short version of the story. It's funny how in the different Gospels there's like different expressions of different stories and how some of them you get a little bit more detail and some of them you don't. So, what did you say? Perspective, exactly. Nice, Stephen. Exactly what we were talking about with the kiddos. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting that the Mark version is just like two verses to tell the entire story, which in a lot of different places in the Bible, we don't really get a lot of details anyway, so it's nice that we do in Matthew. Um, so I want to share the Mark version because I think there's some language that he uses that connects with what I want to share today in the scriptures. So this is Mark 1, 12 through 13. The Spirit immediately drove him out to the wilderness. As you can see, that, that word is different. Instead of the Spirit led him into the wilderness, it said it drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So the reason why I wanted to bring up Mark's version of the story is because of that word drove, that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and also about the part with Jesus with the wild animals. So there's connection here with the book of Genesis, and also with the book of Daniel, which we spent a lot of time studying last year. And so I love how Dan shared last week about letting the scriptures talk to one another, and so that's what I'm excited to share about today. So first, I want to look at the connection to the book of Genesis in Jesus' time in the wilderness, specifically in the Mark passage. So there's a connection between Jesus and Adam, which the word Adam actually relates to humankind, not just like Adam as the male. Um, so Jesus has been referred to as the new Adam, that Jesus came to redeem the actions of humans that led them to be exiled from the garden. Jesus was the new Adam, a new Israel, and the reversal of Cain. Jesus, just like Adam, has been given worldwide dominion, representing God and humans, and God's dominion over the world. And it's really interesting. I was listening to the Bible Project um, talking about all of this, and it was talking about how Adam was not a son of man. Adam was a son of God. Nobody birthed Adam. So Jesus is also a son of God, but he's also a son of man. I just thought that was really interesting. I never really thought of Adam not being a son of man, that he was just a son of God. And that's the same thing that God gave Adam to do, was to have dominion over the world, to represent God on the earth. And I love what Sid shared during communion a few weeks ago that Jesus came to live our life so that we can learn to live his. Thus becoming Adam and the humankind that we were meant to be. So Jesus is the example on how to do that. Because nobody, nobody's done it perfect except Jesus. So Adam and Eve were sent out into the wilderness as a punishment while Jesus was tested in the wilderness before he was sent out to do miracles and live his ministry and we see that Jesus is the first and only human to pass the test of the wilderness. Dan talked about this last week, but the significance of 40 is really interesting to the story. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, even though the wilderness was supposed to be their liberation. 
as they were being led to the land of abundance that was promised to them. But they were the reason that the wilderness lasted so long, sadly. It was only supposed to be an 11-day journey, but it turned to 40 years. How does that happen? Just because we're human, man. We like to make mistakes sometimes. We like to make life hard for us sometimes. Anyways, there's also the interesting connection between Jesus being tempted to change the stones into bread and how God provided little gifts of Eden in the wilderness through provision of manna, which was enough for every day, like each day. And it happened to look like stones. There's so many things in the wilderness that God was giving reminders to the people of Eden, of perfection, just like the water in the wilderness is to recall the river of Eden, which also makes me think of Jesus offering living water to the woman at the well, a water that will quench a thirst in the way that she will never thirst again. I don't know, these, these kinds of connections are really fascinating to me. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like growing up, I never learned to look at the Bible this way. So it's been really cool to see all the different connections and how Jesus is woven through the Old Testament into the New Testament and how just these different stories and the connections just make you, it click and just make sense. So I just love that so much. So now to talk a little bit about that word, drove, that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Um, it can also say cast out. That's another word that is used too. But this word cast out is a translation of the Hebrew word ekbalo. So this word ekbalo is the same word that's used in Genesis when humans were cast out from the Garden of Eden. Isn't that interesting? I did not know that. So, yeah, it's just very interesting to think about Adam and Eve being ekbaloed into the wilderness and how Jesus was also ekbaloed into the wilderness. But the connection's just very interesting. So now I want to look at the connections with the book of Daniel. And this is also where the Mark version comes into play. So the book of Daniel can connect to the book of Genesis as well, as we see that humans are capable of incredible good, but also horrible evil. We talked about this a lot when we were studying Daniel, but how humans can behave like animals, that we can have like beastly instincts or ways that we interact with the world that are very harmful to the world and to other people. God creates humans and animals, but humans are set above as made in the image of God. As we see in Genesis, humans are deceived by a beast, and then they are sent out of the garden, or again, ekbalod, cast out to the realm of the beasts. But not without a promise that God will send a human who will overcome the temptation of the beast. As we see through sin and darkness that humans perpetuated and allowed to grow in their lives, Cain's children spread their animal-like violence that built a whole civilization known by its beastliness, which was Babylon. And so we talked a lot about Babylon um, last year, which is this connection between Genesis and Daniel. So, and we can see in Daniel's crazy dreams about how there hasn't yet been a human that can fill that 
seat next to God, that throne that was meant for humans. But Daniel has a vision of the Son of Man, meaning that this person was fully human, but was a godly figure as well. I loved this so much. The Bible Project was saying that the cross looks like a beastly torture device in one perspective. And it absolutely was that for Jesus. Jesus' experience of the cross, he felt all of the pain from that experience. It was a torture device. But just as much as it was his torture device, that became his throne. It became a different way of living, of sacrificial love. He exposed the subhuman nature of our evil by letting it do its worst to him. He overcame this with his divine life and love, and his execution ended up being his exaltation. So he overcame the beast and has the privilege of ruling next to God. So our hope is that God responds to the rebellious nation with the promise of a king who rules differently. God will bring order to the chaos of the world by installing a royal son of God over the chaos. A son who lives for service, shows humility, and expresses self-giving love. All right, so now that we made all those connections with Genesis and Daniel, I want to look back at the scripture in Matthew. So we see Satan trying to tempt Jesus through offering Jesus things that Satan doesn't actually have to give him in the first place. He promises kingdoms, he promises provision, all of these different things that, again, he just, that's not something that he actually has to offer. Satan takes the role of the slanderer, trying to tempt Jesus into believing less about himself and to give into the false promises in his most vulnerable state. Satan is trying to convince Jesus that all is under the power of spiritual forces of evil and is telling Jesus, if you give allegiance to Babylon and its way of ruling the world, I will give you anything you want. I will give you the whole world. And Jesus's rejection of temptation is Jesus refusing to be a king like the kings of Babylon, refusing to represent or perpetuate the evil and violence of Babylon. He rejects the value system and instead shows up as the self-sacrificing, suffering servant. That is our Jesus. So I'm ending a little bit early, I guess. But before communion, I wanted to share with a post that I saw on Instagram. I don't know if any of you know Andy Squires. He is a vineyard person. Um, he does worship, right? Luis knows more about him. He does worship, right? And he also writes a lot of really beautiful poetry within his Instagram posts. So I wanted to share one that felt really relatable to this experience of the wilderness and this experience of the temptation that Jesus felt or the temptation that we feel sometimes. So this is what it says. It says, I'm eaten alive in the Colosseum of my mind head on my pillow, in my lumpy bed, as the lions of meaninglessness come to gnaw on my mind, set loose to devour out of the cages of my smartphone. Just another Tuesday night on Twitter, LOL. Where is Richard Dawkins to comfort me? Where is Sam Harris to console? None of their utilitarian dreams are able to relieve me at night. 
I need to sleep now, and this alcohol-laced doom scrolling is proving insufficient. It's a pressurized world, and the screws are being tightened on us to deny any other reality except that which can be seen and heard in the realm of the senses. But hasn't there already been enough failed attempts at that experiment? I think that our happiness, nay, our survival, never mind for a moment the eternal aspects of this, is contingent upon us refusing to no longer live as practical atheists and choosing instead to be humans who actively believe in God, following in the ways of Christ and who continually join into the life of the Holy Spirit, a life that is both ancient and immediate, so that we do not lose our hearts to the soullessness of the day. We cannot depend on the fickle consensus of human willing, no matter how forceful our relativistic instincts are. Where has the materialist imagination taken us? The spectrum of human emptiness is wide. Is there anything more hollow than an outlet mall? Those joyless temples dispensing $17 bags of popcorn and a $13 fast fashion blouse? Of course, there are much darker corners along this continuum, but no matter how innocuous or blatantly wicked, true tyranny, real despair, always begins with us fools whispering quietly in our hearts, there is no God. There is a God, and loving him is not easy, and serving him is at times problematic, but the alternatives to him, while at first thrilling, will eventually turn and devour us. In contrast to the gods of the age, the man Christ Jesus says, I will not devour you. I will feed you. I will satisfy you. I am the bread of life. So we're going to take communion together, and everyone's willing, everyone is welcome to partake no matter what background you come from, no matter if you're visiting, you are welcome. We have individually wrapped communion like cups with wafers, as well as gluten-free crackers and grape juice available. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the bread of life, he broke his body for us and said, take and eat. Then he took the cup and said, take and drink. He offered us living water so that we may never thirst again. Amen. <laughs>